Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. You're listening to the For the Love of the Game podcast, episode 54, by your man's Aaron Tobin has brought to you by Overtime Media. Let's rock. All right, all right, all right. Welcome back. Episode 54 for the love of the game brought to you by Overtime Media. Good to be back as always. Tonight's episode will be sports related. Yes, back to my roots. Episode 53 about Bachelor in Paradise got rave reviews. Shout out to my girl Lizzie for doing it. She was great. I got a few random DMs from female listeners who liked it. So so maybe after the finale, we'll run it back. But Right now, we're going back to sports. So, baseball is in the thick of things. Uh, the Yankees are 7-3 and three in their last 10. They have a 10-game lead in the division, even though they've let, lost their last two games. No big deal here. They just need to stay healthy, get Aaron Judge and Gary Sanchez back on track, who have slumped. And they need one more starter outside Tanaka to really step up. DJ LeMahieu and Gio Urshela are battling for the AL batting title, which is crazy to think about, considering where Gio Urshela started the season. But the only thing that can derail this wagon is its starters and the Astros, who I still fear a lot. The Astros still loom large. If the Yankees can get home field advantage throughout the playoffs, that would really put them in the driver's seat. That's really what they're playing for right now. The Red Sox, while their season is done, see you next year, you assholes. Get lost. The Mets keep grinding. They're playing meaningful games in the end of August and September, which is awesome. What a season by Peter Alonzo. I mean, unbelievable season for him. Mets fans seem to hate Mickey Calloway, but it's a fun team to watch and a dangerous team. And I've been saying it. If they can get into the playoffs, they're going to be really, really dangerous. No one wants to really face them. It should be a really, really fun stretch run in Flushing, and we're going to see how it plays out. Some basketball news that we uh, I actually want to discuss. First off, Tough break for DeMarcus Cousins, who tore his ACL a few days ago working out in Las Vegas. Just a brutal injury for Boogie, who in the last two years has already torn his Achilles and his quad. I mean, it just sucks for him considering he looked like he was in great shape this summer from the various videos and clips I saw online. I've always had a soft spot for Boogie. I mean, he's super talented, super skilled, had great touch for a big man. Before his Achilles injury, I mean, he was a beast. His pairing with Anthony Davis in New Orleans was actually going really well. I mean, I remember one game against the Rockets where you know this was the year the Rockets were the number one seed, and Davis and Boogie, I think, combined for about 60 points and, and 30-something rebounds and just absolutely dominated Houston. It was, I was like, oh, my goodness. Like, this team is, is going to be an absolute force. And then last year with the Warriors, after coming back from the Achilles injury, which is just a brutal injury, he showed flashes of being good again and being, you know, a serviceable player, uh, somebody who can really contribute to winning. Um, it wasn't always there, I mean, which is to be expected because he was coming off uh, that really rough injury. And I really hope that he can get back to 
to being a serviceable player, a good player, but man, what a tough break for him. It really sucks. And that's why you don't turn down guaranteed money in the NBA, and Boogie should be the cautionary tale. And as for the Lakers, well, this puts them in a really tough spot. They were already super thin at center. I mean, right now, JaVale McGee is technically the only healthy center on their roster. They're capped out. They have no draft picks to really move for a player. And right now, uh, spots are limited. I mean, they're looking to bring in Joachim Noah, uh, Dwight Howard, Marcin Gortat. I mean, it's really scraping the bottom of the barrel. And uh, the wild card here is Anthony Davis because Anthony Davis is on record saying he doesn't like playing center. He doesn't want to play center. He wants to play power forward. And Anthony Davis isn't signed there long term. So they got to find centers to put around him to appease him a little bit and and make sure that he's not playing center all the time to make sure that he stays there long-term because if Anthony Davis somehow were to walk, and I'm not saying that that's going to happen, but if he were to walk, the Lakers are up Shits Creek hard because they traded away everything for Anthony Davis. All right, so Team USA is getting ready to play in the FIBA tournament in uh, about two weeks or so. They already had an exhibition game against Spain where they won uh, handily, and Spain had a lot of NBA players on its roster, such as Marc Gasol, the Hernan Gomez brothers, Ricky Rubio. So it wasn't a team of nobodies by any means, uh, and Team USA did really, really well. But the story about this team has been all the guys who have pulled out. Now, I can understand the big names like Anthony Davis, James Harden, who pulled out. I mean, they've already done their service with uh, Team USA. They have gold medals already. But it's guys who haven't played before, like Bradley Beal, Damian Lillard, and especially young guys like Marvin Bagley, who wowed people in in the camps in Vegas in the practices and was elevated from the select team to the, you know, the senior team. And then he ended up pulling out. And same with De'Aaron Fox, who was also elevated to the senior team and was probably going to make the team, but uh, decided to uh, withdraw uh, to focus on next season. Now, why wouldn't they play? I mean, who cares if you aren't the star of that team? Being on that team only helps your brand. And don't give me this nonsense that they don't want to be fatigued for the NBA regular season. Now, just stop with that crap. I mean, look at Kevin Durant in 2011 after he played for FIBA the previous summer. He had a monster season. Derrick Rose, all he did was win the MVP the next year. Team USA has boosted the careers of LeBron James, Carmelo Anthony, Dwayne Wade, Chris Paul as well. I mean, being in that environment with different coaches around other excellent players is great for guys. NBA players play all summer, by the way. I mean, the clips are all over social media, all over Instagram, Twitter, Whatever, you know, they have handles dedicated to the summer runs in the NBA. So why not play with the best of the best in the most controlled environment? I mean, I understand the Paul George injury. It was awful in the moment, but that was a fluke. And guess what? Paul George played in the 2016 Olympics and had two of his best seasons of his career afterwards. It's a huge mistake to back out, even if you won't make the team or will be at the end of the bench. Just for the practices alone, I think it's worth it. And for the record, I kind of like how the FIBA tournament, that this team is a team of younger guys. Kind of like in 2010, where you had guys like Durant, Rose, Westbrook, Stephen Curry, before they really became superstars. Now, I'm sure the big guns will be back for the 2020 Olympics, because guys have made it very clear that they care about the Olympics more than the FIBA tournament. But it should be fun to watch nonetheless. And apparently the guy who's killing it in the Team USA camp right now is Donovan Mitchell. He's giving off 
Um, from everything I've heard, 23-year-old Dwayne Wade vibes, which would be awesome. By the way, check Dwayne Wade's stats after he played for Team USA in 2008. And this is, again, Wade was injured a lot during the 2007-2008 seasons, and he played that summer. And guess what happened the next season? Well, I'll give you a little bit of a hint. All he did was lead the league in scoring and was an absolute monster. So, yeah, playing USA basketball only helps guys, and I'm still excited to watch the FIBA tournament, even though the main headliners aren't necessarily going to be playing. Last thing basketball-related before getting into tonight's uh, main topic. As I mentioned, I'm a sucker for the off-season workout videos. I find it fascinating and just shocking how good these NBA players are in practice. I mean, it's, it's really incredible. But one video I, that stood out to me that I saw this week that I just thought was shocking and jaw-dropping. So there's a pickup game, an open run, as they say, that featured uh, the likes of Ben Simmons, Joe Kim Noah, Taj Gibson, Devin Booker, and other NBA players. Uh, Devin Booker, for those who don't know, um, is a great scoring talent uh, on the Phoenix Suns. He's, a, he's in his early 20s, and uh, the reason you probably don't know him so much is because the Phoenix Suns have been a disaster for a couple of years now. Super talented two-guard. Dude can get buckets, and I mean, you know, he can really get buckets. I mean, he scored 70 points in a game. That's really hard to do. But his team has not won anything. And in the NBA, a guy that good, the NBA is the one sport where one guy can really elevate a team. His talent is remarkable, but again, it hasn't translated to winning. So anyway, there's this clip that comes out where he gets a double team in a pickup game. So there's this clip that was going around where he gets a double team in a pickup game, and he complains about it, saying that, quote, we're trying to work on our games here. I get double teams all season. I don't want to deal with this right now. I'm sorry, what? You don't like getting double teamed? Excuse me. When you play with a score, you play to win. No double teams? That is soft as baby shit. Now, I understand NBA players you know, want to work on certain things in the offseason, but that's why you do solo drills, and that's why you play one-on-one with guys. All right, You want to work on that stuff. If you're going to run fives, you play to win. I know guys want to get a sweat, and they're not going to try and injure anybody, but they're still going to play hard because they're competitive. And to complain about a double team in an open run in a pickup game is maybe the softest thing I've ever heard. And the best part about it was Joe Kim Noah's response, where he's like, deal with it. It's part of the game. Amen, brother. There's a Kobe Bryant story from the summer of the 06 season where he was playing pickup in the summer, and he was getting double teamed the entire time. And you know what his response was? You're going to have to triple-team me to stop me. And guess what happened in that NBA season following? All he did was average 35 points a game, and that was the year he scored 62 and three quarters and scored 81. So don't tell me about complaining about double teams in a pickup game. Get lost, dude. I mean, have a little bit of testicular fortitude. Have a little bit of a competitiveness. I mean, maybe that's why your team doesn't win any damn games, because you're just not competitive and you just want to go out and gun and work on your own craft. How about trying to win, dude? I mean, not to toot my own horn, uh, because I'm not even remotely close to these guys' level, but in my weekly pickup game on Wednesday nights, I get double teamed at least a couple of times every single week. Do I complain about it? Absolutely not. Because it's part of the game. And when you keep score, you're trying to win. So Devin Booker, stop crying, bro. 
This mentality is probably why you win 20 games a year and why Joe Kim Noah has been all defense and has gone deep in the playoffs. Crying about a double team? Get the fuck out of here, man. Come on. Anyway, uh, football season is closing in. College and NFL season is upon us, so it's time to start embracing football again, much to my chagrin because that means summer is coming to a close. College football is just over a week away. With that said, you know what time it is. Time to bring him back, one of my favorite recurring guests, my college football extraordinaire, to talk a little college football heading into week one of the college football season. All right, so football season is upon us. College football season, I believe, starts this weekend, right? Yes, it does. So uh, you recognize no, you recognize Thursday, the, next, Thursday. next Thursday. So you recognize the voice. It's my uh, one of my favorite recurring guests, Mr. Jordan Marks, college uh, sports extraordinaire. Jordan, it's that time again. That's right. Kids are back on campus. It's, that just means one thing. It's time to head to the stadium and uh, get the football rolling. Let me tell you, before we start, all right, so my brother, my youngest brother, Noam, graduated Maryland a couple of months ago. We went down for graduation, and it was warm outside. The sun was shining, and I maintain that when it's night, the weather is nice, there is no better place on this earth than college campuses. It's just awesome. There's no doubt about it, and, and even more so than the summer, the fall is amazing. Though, though that that first month, you know, when uh, school hasn't really started up yet, you know, if you're at a big school with a big program, there's obviously tons of uh, tailgating going on. It's it's just a good time. So, so we got to dive right in a little bit. Um, the initial rankings going into the first weekend of games. The top four we've got Clemson one, Bama two, Georgia three, Oklahoma four. So my first question is, out of those four, um. Which is the most overrated team of the of the bunch? Well, I'm not sure if overrated is the right, right word. I mean, these, these are two outstanding football teams with a lot returning um, for each of them. And both are definitely, I mean, all four are going to be national title contenders without, without a doubt. Uh, but if, if I'm going to pick one that's the least deserving to be in that top four, probably going to go with Oklahoma. Uh, Oklahoma's going to lose four starters from their offensive line, of which Three of them were All-Americans. One was All-Conference. And uh, as you obviously know, they're going to lose their the number one overall NFL pick in Kyler Murray and replace him with uh, the Alabama transfer, Jalen Hurts. So Oklahoma's going to return eight stars on the defensive side of the ball. going to be much improved where they struggled quite a bit early on last season and were in a lot of shootouts. They'll get defensive coordinator from Ohio State and Alex Grinch is going to come over and really strike them that portion um, of the ball. But uh, with that being said, new QB, replacing a lot of players on the offensive line, I, I guess they're the weakest of that bunch. But again, these are four really strong teams that should be in at the end. So if Oklahoma coming in at four, and by the way, from what I've heard, uh, the little bit that I've read is that that defensive coordinator coming in for Alabama is, gonna, is a huge get. Like, yeah, from Ohio State. From I, that's Ohio what I meant. State. From Ohio State, yeah. he's a he's a huge get. Absolutely, yeah. He, he he should make them significantly stronger. And to be honest, in, in the Big Twelve, there's a lot of shootouts, so uh, a little bit goes a long way here. So, if there was one team outside the top four that has the biggest gripe to be in the top four, because not that it really matters because there's so much changing, but first impressions, you know, especially when you're picking the final four teams, you know, do matter. So which was the which would be the team 
that has the biggest gripe that if Oklahoma were to drop out of the top four, would have been the first one to get into the top four? Well, I'm not going to just be a homer and say Michigan here. So let's go with LSU. I mean, there's there's definitely a, a, a little bit of an anti-SEC bias that the Associated Press doesn't want to put three SEC teams and then a de facto SEC team in Clemson in the top four. So they probably left LSU on the outside looking in. But uh, last year, they were fitting in a new QB in Ohio State transfer, Joe Burrow, uh, and he got really better, much better over the course of the season. Um, they're going to return the bulk of an awesome offensive line. They add a ton of four and five stars. They have, I think, a top five or six recruiting class coming in. They have a five-star running back, John Emery, who's going to help them out in the backfield. And with that, they have one of the best defenses in the country. They have a classic LSU secondary. There's going to be the best safety in next year's draft is Grant Delpit. They have Christian Fulton, who is one of those ball-hawking LSU cornerbacks. Um, They have a little bit of a difficult schedule, which is probably what drops them outside that top four uh, with getting Texas in the non-conference on the road. And then, of course, Alabama is going to be on the road this year. So if they can win that one, this is is definitely a team that could – win the SEC West and uh, go on to make the playoff and have a strong championship. I'm curious to know, besides for your uh, Michigan ties, why you picked LSU over, say, um, Ohio State. Yeah, so I was going to get into it in a bit, but yeah, LSU, I think, just returns a a ton more, both on the off, both sides of the ball on the lines, uh, and, and also Ohio State is uh, fitting in a new head coach, a new quarterback who doesn't have extensive experience in Ryan Day's system. Um, and then, yeah, they lose Paris Campbell. It was a bunch of uh, skill position players. Uh, so that's kind of why I just picked LSU. They're a deeper, talented team. I hear that. Um, I hear that. And, uh, and Coach O hasn't worn out his welcome yet, which is kind of shocking considering his history. Um, he's still going strong, this guy. Absolutely, and, and that's that's definitely a, a rabid fan base, so they usually call for their head as soon as uh, something goes awry. Yeah, uh, Ryan Rossillo and, um, and Scott Van Pelt talked about that the best experience they've ever had was, I, I believe, was uh, down in LSU for a uh, LSU-Alabama game that they thought that that was the greatest sporting event that they've ever been to, which is, for them, that's saying something, especially yeah, I, coming from— I know, went a couple of years back. Actually, we, Jane and I went to Baton Rouge for a game, and it was, I think the final score was like 13-7 to 7 or something ridiculous. But it was the atmosphere. It was a night game, Death Valley. It was awesome. Yeah, it's something that's on my bucket list to do in terms of, like, sports. I, you know, obviously where I went to school was not, like, a big-time sports program, um, considering <laughs> I'm a former uh, D3 college athlete with uh, a lot of opinions. But I, I did attend a Maryland game, and Maryland wasn't very good at all. Um, they were playing Miami, so it had a little bit of juice, but Miami wasn't great either. So that was fun, but, I mean, it's not, like, big time. Not, not in the same stratosphere. So if you had to pick, uh, right now looking at the schedules, uh, the top four, which one is going to lose first? And will it ultimately matter at the end? Who loses first? <laughs> yeah. Again, this is difficult. I, I, these are awesome teams that will have a chance to win the bulk of their games. Obviously, Dama and Georgia are, are two teams 
that actually don't play each other during the regular season. So again, they could win out, but I'm actually not going to pick either of those two. I'm going to pick Clemson at not really, not necessarily because of the weakness of the Clemson team, but again, their second week out, they're going to play a strong offensive team with Jimbo Fisher at the helm in Texas A&M. And then they're going to go to, they're going to have to go on the road to a really tough upstart Syracuse team that they almost lost to last year. Um, so this is, uh, this is not necessarily, I'm not going to pick that any of these teams are going to lose, but if you're telling me which one has the, the best chance to lose, mm-hmm. I'm going to say Clemson. Clemson is, has to replace a ton on the defensive side of the ball. I think they only have three or four returning starters. Yes, they always have a top three recruiting class, so it's not such a big deal where the majority, 90% of programs in the country, that would be devastating and it would be a two or three year recovery. Clemson doesn't have that. They still have a ton of good talent replacing them, but that is a lot of talent to replace. Um, and then, as I said, A&M, Kellen Mond, senior quarterback uh, with Jimbo Fisher, who's really going to have his guys ready to play uh, in that highlight game. Clemson target on their back with, again, an awesome quarterback who we're probably going to speak about in a little when we talk about the Heisman, but uh, it's it could be a wake-up call for Dabo and the Tigers. So from what I've heard, and, and again, I, I'm not the biggest college football guy, but I like to keep my eyes and ears open a bit. So it seems to me that this year is like the, the first year that Clemson, it seems to be like an overwhelming, not an overwhelming favorite, but a, a decent favorite to, to take down the title at the end. I mean, maybe it's because the bias that they have the best player in college football at the most important position, but... I, I, yeah, I mean, it's part. I don't know if they're necessarily the overwhelming favorite. I I think that Alabama, to call them not the favorite in any year where Nick Saban is a head coach is, is, is actually crazy. Like to say that Clemson is the overwhelming favorite because Dabo has gotten the best of them in the past couple of years. But Two out of three it, years, I think, no? Yeah, yeah. So, but uh, Trevor Lawrence is awesome. No doubt about it. I, what, what's crazy about what he did is that he was a freshman and he had a 30 to four touchdown to interception ratio in college football at the biggest stage. That's insane. Uh, they demolished Alabama in the national championship. Uh, but, but what my only hesitation is the three returning starters on the defensive side of the ball. That is an, a huge lack of experience to bring back from a national championship team that had a ton of upperclassmen and to go out week and week and have a target on your back and to really um, push other teams to, to just squander like they did last year and demolish teams. I, I don't know if that's going to be the case. So that's why I think Alabama is, is rightfully probably the favorite, but Again, overwhelming favorite is is something I don't necessarily agree with for Clemson. All right. Because, I mean, college football is weird because it's almost like if you lose early, you're better off. So if you're saying that Clemson has has a hard early season schedule with a lot of players who aren't returning on defense, you know, these guys were still top five, you know, five-star recruits. And they're probably gonna look. You're gonna look up, and they're gonna be stacked at every position like they've been the last couple of years. Anyway, I mean, if you give them time to gel, if they if they lose, 
to say Texas A&M, which is not a bad loss. Um, and that's no, it. And a, they run the table. Conference loss, right? Exactly. And they run the table. Then I mean, they're easily going to be a number one or a number two seed. There's no doubt about. It. Regardless, they'll make the playoff, so it wouldn't really matter. So yeah, you're right. And then they have the and then they have the best player in you know college football. I mean, that guy would have been the number one pick in this year's NFL draft. And I don't even think it's close. Yeah, uh, there's no doubt about it. So speaking of the Heisman for a second, transitioning here. So Jalen Hurts, as as he's been around a while, you know, he's had a great record at Alabama, um, you know, got benched for another future first round pick coming in, maybe the number one pick in, in Tua Tangavaloa. And now there's that he's with Oklahoma. There's a lot of Heisman buzz around him. Uh, OU has yeah. had the last two Heisman winners in Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray. Um are we buying Jalen Hurts stock in terms of a, a Heisman candidate here? Yeah, I mean, transfer to Oklahoma, play for Lincoln Riley, be a quarterback, right? That's got to be the formula to win the Heisman these days. Uh, I, I don't know. I don't. I don't. Again, as I said, I I struggle to think that he just got on campus. Like he's, not, it's not the same with Baker, who was there for quite a while. Three, I think he started for three years. And then, and then Kyler, who who was on campus at least for a year prior, so it, it's a little bit different. And and again, they are replacing four starters on the offensive line. Um, they're replacing their running back. So this is not it's not, it's not the same Oklahoma team. So I do I think he's going to be excellent, absolutely. But then you look at Trevor Lawrence, you look at Tua Tagovailoa, like you said, you look at Jonathan Taylor from Wisconsin, who's going to be fed the rock thirty to thirty five times a game classic Wisconsin running back uh, that ends up sitting at the Heisman ceremony, probably third. Uh, to me, I think it's probably between Tua uh, and Trevor, and I, it's it's difficult to, to give the edge to one of them. I mean, Tua smashed the records at, at Alabama last year, passing for under four, just under 4,000 yards. I mean, he's going to get two NFL wide receivers in Jerry Judy and Henry Ruggs back for their senior season. He has a future NFL running back in Najee Harris and an awesome offensive line. So, to uh, there's as much as we could talk up Trevor, who should be fantastic. There's no we can't really slight Tua, who will probably be sitting there in New York or Jonathan Taylor at the same time if he's healthy and uh, gets fed the rock like a normal Wisconsin running back should. So who are um, a couple of under the radar teams right now that are say outside the um, outside the top ten that that you really think can can make some serious headway and and, and jump a couple of spots in the first month with uh, some good performances? Who are some under the radar yeah. teams that we should be looking at that aren't necessarily like the big headliners? Yeah, so Nebraska is a team that's uh, really interesting. I, I think uh, they went they went zero and six to start last year under new head coach Scott Frost. Um, th- th- this is a team that lost all those six games in, in, in a single-scoring bout. So they're going to return a dual-threat quarterback in Adrian Martinez. Uh, they have one of the Big Ten's best receivers in J.D. Spielman, and uh, seven starters return on the defensive side of the ball. They have a breeze of a schedule in the, that side of the Big Ten. Uh, they only get Ohio State from our side, and then they get Maryland and uh, I think Indiana uh, at home. So... This is a really manageable schedule for Nebraska. And again, those were such close uh, games last year that I think that's going to be a team to watch out to maybe come out of the Big Ten West. Um, and then and then 
not a lot of uh, your listeners or people on the East Coast watch the pack because all the games are on so late. Um, I know my brother loves to watch uh, the post-Shabbat Pac-12 games, but uh, the, dege- Utah, the degenerate gamblers love the Pac-12 the Pac, uh, yeah, because they're chasing if they had a rough day. Exactly. And, and I think a team to really watch is Utah. Utah is a really strong team with a ton of experience. Uh, they have, they're returning to their quarterback. They have one of the best running backs in the country that nobody knows about. It will be lighting up scoreboards at midnight on the East Coast, uh, and Zach Moss, and this is the best defensive line in the country. You got um, a bunch of names we all probably can't pronounce, the Polynesian dudes, Lecky Fotu and Bradley Ane. Uh, this is going to be a really strong defensive front, and they're most likely going to win the, their side of the pack over USC because it's a little weaker, and then they're going to avoid Oregon and Stanford on the other side, so... I think it's going to be them in Washington in the Pac-12 championship, and I, I really do think Utah has a chance to come out and be a playoff contender. Interesting. Interesting. I mean, has Utah really had, like, you know, major exposure since the days that Urban Meyer coached them and Alex Smith was there? Yeah, I, mean, I, be, I believe Utah was in the, the Pac-12 championship game last year. Uh, but, again, it's it's really been the Pac has always been down as of late, and because when USC is down and when Oregon's down, everyone just ignores the league. But Washington has been on the up, and right, Washington has made, has made Washington's made the Final Four a couple of times. Um, but I mean, you know, I, I guess maybe no one was really paying attention to the the Pac-12 last year. Absolutely. So, um, your Michigan Wolverines uh, coming in right now, seventh in the polls. Uh, how do you currently feel about uh, your squad? And is this the year they're finally going to beat Ohio State? So, uh, it's just so hard for me to talk about Michigan. And uh, it's like, uh, it's so painful. Um, but uh, I hope so. I mean, the story behind the 2019 Michigan is, is the change. It's finally the time that they uh, – they went in and hired uh, Josh Gaddis uh, from Alabama just for a short stint. And prior to that, he was Penn State. Um, he uh, is a young upstart head coach that brings that speed, spread, space type of offense. He's going to take the helm over Harbaugh's ground and pound and tight end fullback regime. Uh, and that's really what was holding Michigan back from, for me uh, specifically against urban Myers, Ohio state squads. Um, And yeah, you're going to get a really experienced Michigan offense. They're going to return Shea Patterson, who should also be in the mix at the Heisman uh, and, and be a name to watch out for in in, in the NFL draft as well. Uh, They're going to have a lot more RPO systems that Shea was used to from all his Ole Miss and his high school days. Uh, and then again, this is still going to be a Don Brown defense. They're going to have a really strong secondary. They're going to get after the quarterback. So I think Michigan is definitely going to be a playoff contender. Will they beat Ohio State? Ohio State's really talented. There's no doubt. Justin Fields coming in a quarterback. Uh, he's a five-star, but again, getting used to the new system. Urban Meyer leaves. That's the biggest thing for us. So game is going to be in Ann Arbor this year. So I have to think that we have the edge. But, uh, you know, it hasn't been that way as of late. So we'll see. Are you going to be there? I am not going to be there. It's always Thanksgiving weekend, so that's a tough one. I'll actually be—I'll be going to the Notre Dame game. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. No, 
Thanksgiving weekend's a tough weekend to just like book out and and uh, not show up at, at family Thanksgiving. I, I just want to say, as you well know, there's a very famous Michigan Wolverine alum, Michigan Wolverine fan, who is a as he says, is a proud Michigan man who has deemed Michigan football irrelevant until they beat Ohio State. But it, but if there's going to be a year, maybe this is the year because Urban Meyer's gone. Maybe. <laughs> yeah, I'm hoping. This, this, this guy's got a lot of pull in terms of, uh, in terms of getting uh, you know, young audiences uh, – in, involved with uh, with rooting for Michigan or rooting against Michigan because people hate him so much. But uh, who knows? I mean, I, I, I'm rooting for you guys. I, uh, who likes Ohio State? Couldn't agree more. So what are your favorite games of the opening weekend? Before we transition, because I wanted to get your thoughts on the Jets, what are your favorite games from opening uh, weekend college football? So... Some of some of the highlight games, obviously, um, for the f- first week is there's a Miami Florida game. Um, that's going to be a big one to open up the season. I, th- I believe that's the, that's the Thursday night opener uh, in UF, and then there's of course uh, the Utah BYU in-state rivalry. Uh, I, I believe that's Saturday night. Um, so that's going to be a great game, as I just said, Utah. Um, I think those are like the two biggest games. There's a Houston Oklahoma game that should be a high scoring affair, but I think uh, Oklahoma should probably smoke them. But uh, those are three of the games that we're looking at All right. for the opening weekend. Nothing crazy. Nothing too crazy. I mean, I've heard a lot of buzz about this Miami uh, Florida game, but other than that, I I haven't really heard a tremendous amount of buzz. But it should be, um, you know, it, it's opening weekend, and it's and it's good for everybody who who loves college football because football's back. No doubt about it. So before, uh, and I know you have a fantasy draft tonight, but before I let you go, I I wanted to get your thoughts because I've spoken about the Giants in their offseason, much to my dismay for the most part. Um, Wanted to get your thoughts on the Jets because I haven't really thought about the the Jets much. Uh, They made uh, big big splashes in free agency, uh, hired a new coach, uh, had a GM, fired the GM, um, how do you feel about the Jets going into this year? Hey, the Jets. Um, listen, I think they had a plan in the offseason. I mean, I, I think they did well in the offseason. I think they had a lot of money to spend. It was an expensive offseason. Uh, I, I like that they spent it. Uh, they levy on C.J. Mosley, Jameson Crowder. Um, was it the type of money I would spend on Le'Veon? Probably not. Uh, C.J. Mosley. Uh, yes, that's an important position that we needed. Uh, and I really like the draft and getting uh, Quint, Quinn Williams, who I thought was the best player in the draft at the time. Um, do I think they're going to have a great season this year? I don't know. Uh, I don't. I still think they have a problem at edge rusher. I th- still think they have a problem at uh, in the secondary. But, uh, you know, we'll see. If it, it, I think it really all depends if Adam Gase can get Sam Darnold to cut down on those turnovers. Uh, and Sam Darnold shows that awesome arm that he had in, in, in select plays last season uh, more consistently. And Le'Veon's the stud that he can be. I think that uh, I think that we will have a, a pretty pretty solid season. So Dan Orlovsky on ESPN, who does a really good job on ESPN, picked Sam Darnold as the QB that's going to take, like, you know, the biggest leap going forward. Uh, how confident are you in Darnold based on what you've 
seen last year. I mean, because he showed flashes last year. Um, he, uh, based on what you've seen in preseason, what you're reading about in camp, because personally, I, I just don't see it. Yeah, uh, again, uh, last year he showed flashes. I, it was just the turnovers. I mean, I think he threw 14 picks. He fumbled the ball 13 times. I mean, it, it really was just the turnovers to me, and I think that's something that can be fixed. So we'll see. Do you see any Matt Stafford in Sam Darnold? And I say that as a bad thing, by the way. <sighs> I, I hope not. I, I, don't, I don't believe so. I think that would be... That would be a worst-case scenario. Well, because he's just good enough to make you relevant a couple of times and that he's going to get paid, but ultimately he's not winning you anything. Right. Eh, I, I, don't, I don't see it, but again, that would be worst-case scenario for me. And the last thing is, is Adam Gase. You know, he, he seems to be like – he seems to be a crazy person. Um – He's got weird facial expressions. I mean, there's the story that he was uh, in the delivery room with his wife. His wife gives birth. He goes, am I good now? And goes to a meeting. Like, this guy may have a couple of screw loose. Um, and he also had the situation with the GM where he pushed the guy out. I mean, where are you with Adam Gase? Are you nervous that he may be a psychopath? Ah, uh, it's... So to me, Adam Gase is is kind of still riding his Denver Schneid from a couple years back. I don't think he did anything with the Dolphins, but if he again, his make or break is going to be Darnold. If he can get Darnold to play consistently as a B plus quarterback, I think that he will be fine. I think the stuff in the off season between him and McCagnan was weird. Um, I, I don't, I didn't understand it. I, he clearly disagreed with everything. And then he clearly was on the same page as Joe Douglas, who he worked with prior. But again, I, I, I don't take a lot from the stupid eyes thing. That's all over Twitter that, on that press conference. In Gase's defense, you know, when Tannehill was healthy, the Dolphins had a really good record and Tannehill put up numbers. Just Tannehill wasn't ever healthy. And I mean, who knows? Uh, but to be a coach in New York, as you well know, you got to be wired a certain way, right? You can't have either you have to be so out of sight, out of mind where nothing bothers you or you have to be able to play the game the right way. And I'm not sure he fits into either of those categories. Yeah, I mean, we'll say it's it's he, he's such a strange paradox that we'll say. So, uh, final prediction for the Jets. Uh, what are we feeling? Are we feeling nine and seven? Are you feeling ambitious ten and six? Worst no, case we're not scenario, feeling ten. And, yeah. Worst I'm case scenario, and four and twelve. No, I'm feeling nine and seven. I think that's about right. I think maybe just outside the wild card. I mean, listen, is there a chance that Brady slips? There's no more Gronk. Darnold plays incredibly. Le'Veon's a superstar. Uh, Quinn Williams is amazing, and the defense is awesome. I guess so. Am I going to put my money there? Probably not. Uh, I probably think it's just outside the playoffs, and and maybe next year is the year when they get another draft in and uh, another off season. So, looking at the landscape of the AFC, you you think ten wins is going to ha- is going to have to be the barometer to get into uh, the wild card uh, 
wild for, card for our, div- our division for sure. And then in the wild card match, I, I, yeah, I think so. All right, all right, interesting. And uh, I, I, so I got to let you go because I know you uh, have a fantasy draft going on. But I appreciate your time. And uh, one last thing, I got a, a quick uh, gun to your head: Do the Mets make the playoffs? No. I think they'll uh, blow it like they always do. <laughs> that is a beaten down New York Mets and Jets fan, if I've ever heard one. Uh, Jordan Marks, it's great to have you back. Uh, we're obviously going to be doing this a bunch of times during the year, uh, like we always do. Tis the season. Yeah, keep my head up. Go blue. Have a good one, man. Speak to you. Thanks again to uh, one of my favorite recurring guests, Mr. Jordan Marks. That is episode 54. Take us out, Fiddy. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.